Welcome to the Great Detectives of Old Time Radio. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham. If you have a comment, email it to me, box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. Today's program is brought to you in part by the financial support of our listeners, and you can support the show by mailing in your donations to Adam Graham, P.O. Box 15913-1513, Boise, Idaho, 83715. And I want to go ahead and thank Pat, Myron, and Jack for supporting the show in that way. And you can also become one of our ongoing Patreon supporters for as little as $2 per month. Just go over to patreon.greatdetectives.net. Now it's time for this week's episode of The Silent Men. And there was one lost episode between last week's episode and this week's. Only one of two that's missing from this series. Uh, Today's episode originally aired on February the 3rd, 1952. And the title is The Big Kill. Douglas Fairbanks, Jr. in The Silent Men. The National Broadcasting Company proudly presents Douglas Fairbanks' production of The Silent Men. Transcribed stories of the undercover operations of the special agents of every branch of our federal government and their relentless fight against crime. Now here is Douglas Fairbanks. Many people assume that the special agents of our federal government are concerned only with foreign intrigue, espionage, or international problems. But this is not the case. For every citizen of this country, regardless of age or nationality, is under the constant protection and surveillance of the silent men. And the same skill and persistence that is used in guarding the security of our nation is also used in dealing with some of the trials and disturbances of Mr. and Mrs. Average American. This is such a story. A case involving simply people. In it, I play the part of Special Agent Alec Brown, from whose departmental chief in Washington I obtained the facts. The file case entitled The Big Kill, in which only the names and places are fictional. I'd been transferred from CAA headquarters in Washington to the district office in New York. A new office meant a new routine, and I was familiarizing myself with it by working evenings. An office is a lonely place at night, and when the phone at my side shattered the stillness with its sharp cry, I was startled out of my wits. Hello? Is this the Civil Aeronautics Bureau? Yes. Who do you want to speak to? Someone in charge. Hurry. What is it? Maybe I can help you. A bomb in the plane, Chicago. What? Isn't there anyone there who can understand me? I tell you, the Chicago bomb plane... One minute, please. Give me your name, please. What does my name matter? You have no time. The passengers... I must have your name. No, my husband will... I've got to go now. My bus is leaving. What flight to Chicago? 755. 755? Yes, I couldn't call till now. My husband... Lady, it's five after eight now. You phoned just ten minutes too late. <gasps> my line of work, I get a lot of crank telephone calls, but I couldn't take chances on this one. I called the control tower at the airport immediately. 
Tower? Brown at CAA. You have 755 flight to Chicago? Yes, sir, but... Contact the pilot immediately. Have him make an emergency landing at once. Unload the passengers and let no one in or near the plane till I get there. I'll stand by. I've been trying to tell you, sir, the Chicago plane hasn't taken off. Oh. The fog settled suddenly on the airfield and we're waiting till it lifts. Where is she now? Uh, The far end of the strip. Well, leave her there. Warn all personnel to keep clear. I'll be there as soon as I can. But what is it? Well, I don't understand. Do as I tell you. I phoned police headquarters. By radio, they contacted Lieutenant Pearson and a driver in my neighborhood. And in less than five minutes, I was in the back seat of a car racing to the airport. What time you got, Lieutenant? 8.20. Step on a driver. He's doing 80 now. There's the lights of the field. If there's anything I can't stand as bombs, even thinking about them gives me the goose flesh and me off duty 20 minutes ago. There she is. You can stop here. You stay here, Lieutenant. I'll call you if everything's okay. That makes me plenty happy. I don't mind. There had been a bomb, all right. And a big one. When the earth stopped tossing me around, I looked up at the burning DC-4. People were pouring out of the main building, and I saw a truck with a fire crew headed for the plane. I picked myself up to my feet... Come on. You hurt, Alex? You hurt bad? Oh, I was just shaken up. Lucky I didn't get any closer. Oh, I tell you, I nearly died when I heard it. I ain't afraid of nothing in this big, wide world like a bomb blast. And I thought she was another crank. All right, folks. You'll have to step back. Lieutenant, I don't want anyone near but the fireman near this plane. You heard the man. All right, now step back. Right back, all of you. Get back. Come on. fire boys did their best, but it wasn't good enough. The charred ghost of the airliner lay there on the ground. If she had taken off on time, 30 human bodies would have been added to the awful sight. Being in this branch of the service for seven years taught me where to look for evidence. Lieutenant Pearson, help me. What are we looking for? Oh, anything. Bomb fragments, maybe? See these bent ribs here? Uh-huh. That's the spot that got it first. Sure made a mess of this luggage. Yeah, what there is left of it. What's that you got in your hand? A piece of sharp metal I picked up. Here, put it in this handkerchief. It's a bomb fragment. If you see any more, don't handle it. Prince. If I'd have known it was from the bomb, I wouldn't have touched it with a ten-foot pole. Here's a real find. Piece of leather with a fragment embedded in it. Could just be it. Be what? A suitcase the bomb came in. Passengers still waiting? Yeah. They're celebrating a miracle that let them go on living. I'm afraid one of them is going to stop celebrating. Let's go. I want to have a talk with him. You think uh, the bomb was in one of the passenger suitcases? I'm sure now. But it don't make sense. Why would a guy put a bomb in his own luggage if he knew it was going to blow him the kingdom come? I don't know. Maybe insurance. Just ship his luggage, and when the plane goes, he's registered as dead. Stranger things have happened. Mm, never thought of that angle. Who's in charge of this investigation? Both of us. Why? My name is Stephen Bradley. So? I want to go back to my hotel. I'm badly shaken up. You have no right to hold us here. I have a lot of right to find out who tried to murder 30 people. Then it was murder. I knew it. You have a copy of the passenger list, Lieutenant? Yeah, have one. All right, folks. We'll call you up one by one. See if you can identify this piece of yellow pigskin leather. If you think it was your luggage, please say so. We'll begin with you, Mr. Um, Bradley. Bradley. Stephen Bradley. Okay. Is this your luggage? Look anything like it? No, that wasn't mine. 
All right. Next one, please. Come on, folks. We ain't got all night. Get moving. Come on. Thirty people lined up to look at the piece of yellow leather. Not one of them claimed it. Lieutenant checked their addresses and gave them the routine spiel about being available for questioning and then let them go home. Well, that's that. I guess there ain't much more we can do tonight. Uh, my time says ten past nine. That's right. Less than an hour ago, 30 people would have died. Up there somewhere. Uh, it's knocked me for a loop. Why don't you phone your report in and take off? I don't know. Uh, what about you? Oh, I have a little more routine checking to do in the baggage department. If anything turns up, I can call you. The baggage man was reading a ten-cent comic book. He put it down reluctantly as I approached. What can I do for you? You handle all the luggage? Six to one o'clock. Why? Would you remember if you handled a piece of luggage made out of yellow pigskin? Hey, you must be the fellow looking into that bombing. You know, I got my own ideas how it happened. It's them communists. We'll get to the international situation in a while. Right now, see if you can remember handling a yellow bag. Handle maybe four or five hundred bags a night, not being paid enough for that. Now I gotta start memorizing things. This coarse grain on the leather makes me think it was a Gladstone. Hey, by golly, now you come to say it? Hey, I do remember seeing one. Yeah, a yellow one. Yep. Right here on this rack tonight. And what's more, I know how it got there. A messenger brought it. You sure? Positive. Oh, wait. Now, I'll find you the slip. Yeah, here it is. Minerva Messenger. Let's see that. Hey. Delivered to airport terminal, one pigskin Gladstone bag. Look here. Delivered to baggage room for Stephen Bradley, flight 36. Stephen Bradley. Bradley. Yeah, that's the guy. You better go get him, mister. I phoned Bradley at his hotel. He hadn't checked in yet. Then I called Lieutenant Pearson. There was no real welcome in his voice. Mm, glad you called, Alec. What's up? I found out who owns that suitcase. Good. I'll pick him up. Not so fast. It's Stephen Bradley. And he's not in his hotel. I'll get him all right. So that's who did it. The way he strutted around there, you think he owned the airport. Well, let's not convict him yet. Find him first, then prove it. That's the way it's done, you know. Save them book rules for somebody else. Where'll you be? I'm going to visit a 24-hour messenger service, the Minerva Company. Ever heard of it? No. You will. Three or four souped-up motorcycles rested on the wall of the Minerva messenger service, and inside the enthusiasts who drive them were playing cards. There goes our card game. What is it, mister? I'm looking for a messenger who delivered a yellow pigskin suitcase to the airport early this evening. Know anything about it? Yeah, nothing much except I'm a guy who took it. Yellow pigskin, Gladstone bag. Billed as Stephen Bradley? Yeah, I'm pretty sure that was the name, yeah. Where'd you pick it up? I always had screwy deal this evening. Boss finds an envelope in a mail slot, got two bucks in it, and a key will locker at the Arlington bus depot. Instructions to pick up a suitcase about 6.30 and take it to the airport. Arlington bus depot. Yeah, now, look, if you'll excuse me, I was kind of having a lucky streak when you came in. Well, here's the half a buck I kept you from winning. Ah, thanks. Hey. That guy's all right. The fact that Bradley hadn't brought the suitcase to the airport himself led to some interesting speculations. And I'd learned long ago in this business that the obvious is something you've got to regard with suspicion. It was about a quarter to ten when I got to the bus depot. The usual weary-looking travelers sat around nodding their heads. The lady who'd started this evening off for me had phoned from here. There was no doubt of that. 
especially after I learned that the yellow bag had been picked up at the same depot. Near a row of unboothed telephones, there was a magazine and candy stand. I waited till the girl behind the counter got rid of some of her customers. Yes, sir. Something to you? Any other pay phones than these over here? No. Then you make change for most of them, do you? Yeah, it drives me nuts. I got a loose sales to make change, and I work on commission. Wouldn't that kill you? person on your job gets to be pretty observant, don't you? You're telling me. Say, my boss don't like me talking to fellows during working hours. Well, maybe he'll forgive you in this case. I'm a special agent, federal government. Go on, you're kidding. Well, you sure don't look like one. <laughs> no square-cut jaw, steely gray eyes. <laughs> look, miss, this is serious, very serious. I get you, mister. A little after 8 o'clock tonight, a girl phoned me from this bus depot. She'd been crying. I thought maybe you'd noticed her. I don't know. I'm trying to think. Know what she looked like? No. I'd say she was between 30 and 35. Kind of a sexy voice. She said she'd had to hang up. Her bus was leaving. That would have been about um, five minutes past eight. That's the Jersey special. And I think I got the girl for you. Go on. Well, she came in about 7.30. I noticed how nervous she was. And then she came up to me and asked if anyone had left a message with me for um, Mrs. Curran. Or, or Coran, anyway, some name like that. Her eyes were red, like she'd been crying, so I watched her. You saw her make the call? Right at the first phone. Did you... No, I couldn't hear what she said. But her shoulders were shaking like she was bawling. Mrs. Coran or Coran? Uh-huh. What does she look like? Well, oh, like I wished I looked. Dark hair, about five feet four. Beautiful figure. Are you writing that down? Yeah, yeah. Just a minute. Boy, am I done. Before she left, she gave me a note to give to anyone who might ask for her. It said Hal. Hal? Yeah. Well, she didn't seal it or nothing, so I... I know, I know. And this Hal came and got the note? No, I still got it. Here it is. Hal, please come home. What do you make of it? Jersey bus leaves at 8.05. I saw it go through the Jersey gate. Make any sense to you? Yeah, a lot. You know what? What? If you ever need a job, there's one waiting for you in Washington. The girl had left a trail easy enough for a tenderfoot boy scout to follow. The phone book told me there was a Hal Coran living on 96th Street in Jersey City. Caution should have warned me that it was a little too pat, too easy. The way things looked at this point, I'd have a case for or against Bradley by morning. In less than two and a half hours after the woman had called to tell me about the bomb, I was standing in front of the door to her apartment. At first, I thought there was no one home. Then I heard some movement behind the door. Is that you, Hal? No. Please open the door. Who is it? The man you called on the phone early this evening. Well, I don't know you. What? what, what? I'd know you, Mrs. Coran. Your voice. It's very distinctive. I've heard it only once before, but I'd know it ten years from now. You heard my voice. I think you're mistaken. You spoke to me on the telephone at my office this evening. Me? I think you'd better go. Mrs. Coran, you phoned me this evening from the Arlington bus depot to warn me that a bomb would explode in a Chicago-bound plane. Oh, no, I didn't. I made a recording of the conversation. As I said, Mrs. Coran, you have a very distinctive voice. What? You're mistaken. I see. You didn't leave the apartment? No. Hmm. I have a note here for your husband, Hal. Oh. That is your husband's name? Yes. You gave it to a girl in the bus depot. Is this your writing? Maybe you can see now how useless it is to... Yes. 
Yes, I gave it to her. And you phoned me at the Civil Aeronautics Authority? Oh, I tried to stop it. I begged Hal not to do it. But she was like a crazy man. Better give me a description of him. We've got to pick him up. It's no use. You won't find him. Why not? He said he was going to take his own life. got his description and phoned it into police headquarters. From them, I learned that Bradley had not yet been located. All the while I'd been on the phone, Mrs. Coran sat there crying softly. And, Sergeant, if you get anything, you can phone me at, um... What's the number here, Mrs. Coran? Exeter 1074. Exeter 1074. Yeah, okay. Thanks. He's dead. And it's my fault. It was the quarrel it... Started off like any other quarrel. Husband and wife disagreeing. Would you like to tell me about it? I suppose I'll have to sooner or later. My husband and Stephen Bradley started the Union Machine Shops together. They were equal partners to begin with. They did exceptionally well, I understand. No, not at first. Then, then Hal did something. He used some of the company's funds. He gambled with it. When Bradley found out he wanted the money put back at once or he would prosecute, well, Hal couldn't raise that much. Bradley took over Hal's half of the business instead. And then? He lost all of his initiative. He became a laborer in the business he'd created. Bradley used him for all he could. We quarreled about it. You always refer to him in the past tense. He's dead. I feel it. Then we learned that Bradley had sold out to an eastern combine for $150,000. Bradley hadn't said anything till the deal was completed. And that night, Hal came home from work. I'd never seen him look that old. Claire? Oh, just a minute. I'll put the fire into the soup. Hiya, honey. Mm-mm. Well, how come you brought all your things home from the office? Let's not talk about it now. I'm dead. Hal, something's wrong. Oh, not now, will you? After supper, please. It's always not now with you, isn't it? Come on, tell me, Hal. All right, all right. I lost my job. I'm out of work. Can. Lost your job? Yeah, I'll get another one. Well, why did Bradley fire you? Wasn't Bradley. Uh, New people took over this morning. Hal, what new people? Why is it you never start at the beginning? What new people? Bradley sold a business. They didn't want me, so I'm through. But that business is half yours. You helped build it up. Oh, look, we've been through this before. How can you let things like this happen to you without a fight? What kind of a man are you? What was I supposed to do? Hit Bradley over the head? Oh, no, that takes nerve. Dirty, rotten, double-dealing. And he didn't say anything to you? No, no. Came up to me after it was all over and said goodbye. He's going to the coast to live. Going tomorrow night. And you just stood there and said, good luck, Steve. Oh, hell, this is the last straw. I can't go on living with a man who won't fight back. A spineless, incompetent... That's enough of that. Am I supposed to do? Kill him? Yeah. Maybe that's what you want me to do. Kill him. You weak-kneed jellyfish. Go on, let him step on you. Coward. All right, all right, I'll show you. It's the last time you're going to call me that. What are you going to do? What you want. Kill him. Kill Steve Bradley. Who said anything about killing? 
Just go up to him and demand what's coming to you. Half of that money is yours. Ah, you know how far that's going to go. Oh, hell, please talk sense. I'm talking it for the first time in my life. See you later. Hell? Come back, Hell! <laughs> home early this morning. The bomb? Al put it in a suitcase and made me go with him and put it in a locker. Then he drove me to the messenger place and I dropped the envelope there with the key in it. He had a gun with him and said he would kill me. But why a bomb? Why jeopardize the lives of 30 passengers? I don't know. It was like a man who's lost his mind. He, uh, he made me wait at the bus depot till I picked the suitcase up. Then he came up to me and said goodbye. He said he would kill himself after he was sure the bomb had gone off. <gasps> oh, maybe. Hello? Alec Brown still there? Yes, just a minute. It's for you, Mr. Brown. Brown? Yeah. Find Bradley or Coran? No. I thought maybe you'd need me up there. No, I don't think so. Concentrate on Coran. He's got a gun, and when he finds out Bradley wasn't killed, he'll go after him. He's the man we want now. All right. We'll keep at it. Bradley wasn't killed? But the bomb! The plane was grounded on account of fog. None of the passengers were aboard. Fog? Then nobody was killed. Oh! What is it? That fog saved the lives I know! But Hal! He killed himself for nothing! Oh, poor Hal, even this one final gesture couldn't come off right for him. I'm not so sure he's dead, Mrs. Coran. He may have been at the airport when the bomb went off. He may be looking for Bradley now. With the gun. No, he's dead, I tell you. I tell you, he killed himself. <laughs> the poor woman was in a state of semi-hysteria. And I was only too glad to bring her some sedative pills she kept in her medicine chest. She took two of them and fell back exhausted on the couch. I phoned headquarters. Still no news of either Bradley or Coran. It was near midnight and I was getting a little drowsy myself... Well, I heard someone turning the doorknob. He stood in the doorway a moment. An old, old man in his thirties. His shoulders sagged and there was a look of utter dejection about him. He blinked stupidly at me. Then he walked over to the woman on the couch. What's the matter with her? Claire? Are you Hal Coran? I got to talk to her. Claire, could... mm. yeah, Claire, wake up. What? What do you want? It's me, Hal. Open your eyes. Hal, you didn't... I couldn't do it. I, I couldn't go through with it. He... He couldn't do it. <laughs> he didn't have the nerve. <laughs> What's the matter with her? I told you to let her be. She's upset, hysterical. Oh, <laughs> poor kid. It's all my doing. Look, Claire, baby... Get away from me. Don't touch me. I hate you. You've never done anything right, have you? Never. I'm arresting you, Mr. Coran. Me? Before. That's pretty obvious, isn't it? What are you talking about? He doesn't know. Do you? About the bomb. The bomb you put in Bradley's suitcase. Oh, that's what I've been trying to tell her. I, I couldn't go through with it. I, you know, thinking about all those people, the women and kids. And... It's no fault of yours that they're alive at this moment. And if the plane hadn't been held up on account of fog... I don't know what you're talking about. I, I, I just couldn't go through with it. Don't you understand? I was going to, but like Claire says, I got no guts. I'll have to take you in. You're under arrest. Are you a cop? Yep. 
Then listen to me. Look, this this is the way it was. I, I took the suitcase to the depot. I left it in the locker. I came back later, and I took the bomb out. Now, look, I'm telling oh, you the truth. Oh, hell, lying I... won't do you any good. Haven't you even got the strength to admit what you've look, done? I, look, I brought it home. See, I disconnected the fuse. I put it in this, this drawer right over here. Come on, I'll show you. It's right in here. Well... <laughs> Uh, 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 no, I was here. I put it here myself. I... Oh, it's funny, Alice. It's funny. The best he makes of things. I'm going to phone the police to come for you, Mr. Coran. Put the phone down. Give me that gun. I mean it. I took the bomb out of the suitcase and somebody put it back there. All right, Hal. Well, what's the Claire, use? will you listen? Somebody put that bomb back there. How long do you think you'll last? Long enough. Don't you try to follow me? I phoned the police and asked them to stake out the neighborhood. Then I went out after him. I figured he'd be hiding someplace close by. I felt uneasy about leaving Mrs. Coran alone in the apartment, so after about 15 minutes, I went back. I heard some movement behind her door. I was sure Coran had come back, and I wanted to get in quietly so I could get him from behind Someone was standing close to Mrs. Coran, but it wasn't her husband. It was Bradley. Stephen Bradley. Bradley? That's that old man who's looking for Hal. Oh. Find him yet? No. Where have you been, Bradley? Police have been looking for you. He knew it was Hal who put that bomb in his suitcase. Didn't you, Steve? Uh, Yes, I wanted to squirt my own way. He's gone out of his mind. They've got to find him. I've got no pity for him. No feeling. Any man who could do a thing like that. Well, I tried to stop it. I tried all I... Right, all right. Cal, what are you doing? Locking the door. All right, line up against the wall, all of you. Give me that gun, Coran. Jet, you get back, too. I'll shoot you. I mean it. I'll step back with the others here. You're fooling with the federal government. Oh, my gun don't know the difference. Oh, gun, Mr. Federal. How about you, Bradley? Huh? Oh, yeah, Bradley's got one. Can we give it to me? Thank you. Oh, hell, darling, now we'll put it down. Now, what's on your mind, Coran? Look, uh, maybe we can talk this whole thing over. Huh? You're making things worse for yourself, Coran. Hell, honey, I love you, Hell. It came to me all but... of a sudden. A lot of little things that meant nothing until I started putting them together. Today I got the total. Add it up. You see, Mr. Government? I did take the bomb out, but somebody put it back. He's like lying. I said. He never came back to the house all day. I, I asked myself who put it back, and the answer was so simple. <laughs> the laugh. <laughs> Claire. She put it back. We can have this whole thing out in the proper place, Coran. Right now, I'd suggest... Stay we... there, please. Anybody tries to stop me now gets killed, believe me. Why bring Claire into this hell? Why don't you be man enough... Just to... what I asked myself. Why would Claire... There's nobody going to stop it. Hal, what are you doing to me? And it hit me. See, Claire had been working me up on Bradley, not because he was running out on me, but on her. He's crazy, officer. Started remembering crazy little things, like little trips Bradley had sent me on that didn't make sense, things like that. Then when I told her Bradley was leaving tonight, she went wild. See? The police will be here soon. It'll go better for you if I tell them you submitted of your own free will. Because Bradley was running out on her. She was the one who wanted him dead. And when I took the bomb out, she put it back. But I didn't know it. See, I just knew that I had no reason to go on living. So I said goodbye to her and told her I'd kill myself. Oh, Steve, don't believe me. See the way that added up to me, government? If you can prove that in court, Hal, you'll be in good shape. Give me that gun. No, no, no. I can't wait for the court to settle my accounts. Just got the total tonight. 
I got to pay off. David, he's going to kill you. Graham, look, you're, you're not yourself. But what do you want? Money? I'll give you lots of money. Hal, lots of... Hal, Bradley will make it right with you. He will. Tonight I got the pictures. See, Bradley, Claire, and Hal. Claire, Bradley, Hal. Hal always laughs. It's see? not true. So I figured there's no use running through the streets when I left here. I knew they'd find me. I got to the fire escape on the next building and... Open up in there. Now, which room I could see from that fire escape, Claire? This one right here. Hell! Yeah. You saw. Oh, honest, Hell, it didn't mean anything. Hell, you in there? Yes, but he's got his corner. Don't take any chances. Uh, shut up there. I saw Bradley come in. I saw you rush up to him. I saw that look on your face. The same look I used to see when we were first married. Alec, you okay? Wait. You'd taken it away from me and you'd given it to Bradley, see? I made it a clean sweep for him. My business, my job, my wife. Hell. Hal, I'll make it right. Just give me a chance. Ah, oh, you don't owe me anything. It's Claire. If she's taken from me. There's only one way to square. Me? Oh, Hal. You're going to kill me. Yeah. You love me, Hal. Don't you? Oh, yeah, yeah. I love you. <laughs> Goodbye, Claire. Oh. Coran! Claire. Claire! This is Douglas Fairbanks again. This closes another chapter in the distinguished chronicle of our silent men, the special agents of all branches of our federal government who daily risk their lives to protect the lives of all of us. Next week, we will tell you a story involving a missing boatload of plasma in a file case entitled Blood Money, another venture undertaken for our protection by the silent men. The Silent Men is produced and directed by Warren Lewis. Tonight's case was written by Lewis and Russoff and transcribed in Hollywood. Only the names and places were fictional. Featured in tonight's cast were Lorene Tuttle, Lamont Johnson, Harry Lang, Paul Freese, Betty Moran, and Jack Carroll. Your announcer is Don Stanley. Douglas Fairbanks is currently presenting Betty Davis, Gary Merrill, and Emlyn Williams in the motion picture, Another Man's Poison. Listen again next week and every week to other exciting cases involving the law enforcement adventures of the special agents of our federal government. For they are the silent men. Now it's adventure with the Texas Rangers and Joel McRae on NBC. Welcome back. Well, I, I really enjoyed the first half of the program. I thought it was interesting to really get a look at how a uh, investigator from the Civil Aeronautics Administration, which I think is uh, kind of a predecessor to our modern FAA, and how they went through their investigation. The second half of the program, I, I was... Uh, I don't think it was bad, but it's just not what I expect of the silent men. Uh, to have them kind of going into this almost, you know, soporotic uh, situation with flashbacks and love triangles and uh, business double crosses. That 
feels like that's something that would go on another program. And actually, it did go on another program later. Because when I was thinking about it, I thought, I think that I've heard this uh, particular story before. And I had. It was actually later used on NotBeat. It was one of the last episodes of Not Beat, episode 2439, The Bomb on Flot 63. We played it a little more than three years ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it essentially followed a lot of the same beats and fit a little bit better over there. Still not quite what you'd expect of a Not Beat story, but Not Beat, you know, uh, I guess uh, could have that sort of range for a story. And this uh, was not at all uncommon, uh, particularly when you get towards the tail end of the golden age of radio, where there's a big focus on economizing. And what better way to economize than if you've already bought a script, you've already bought a story, why not go ahead and use it for another series. I'm curious how this w worked out for the writers, uh, whether they got uh, paid the same thing, or if they got paid less, or if they got paid at all, like if they sold the story to NBC for a year, and they're like, you know, we could just, you know, tweak this script and use it on two or three different programs, whether that sort of thing ever happened. All right, before I go too much further, I do have an announcement. We are actually going to be doing a couple of other programs before we get into Tales of the Texas Rangers. Uh, these won't take long. Each one of them will just be a single week, uh, but we will be doing uh, Top Secrets of the FBI and Squad Room. So right after The Silent Men, we'll do Top Secrets of the FBI and Squad Room. At any rate, we turn to listener comments and feedback now. And we start off with this note from Pat, who writes, I'm a Dragnet and Johnny Dollar fan, and enjoy uh, your commentary and dedication to the shows. Thank you, Pat. And Myron writes in, I very much enjoyed the Fat Man. Mystery is my hobby and Casey Crime Photographer. For future programs, I would opt for science fiction. My understanding is that there were some excellent old-time radio science fiction shows. I found your Fat Man and Richard Diamond podcast sites. What other podcasts do you have available? Well, thanks so much. Some uh, good questions there. Uh, and I guess I'll start uh, kind of at the uh, back. Uh, we have uh, podcast feeds for every show we've done is go to biglass.greatdetectives.net. We've got links to all the pages, links to all the feeds, and even uh, Apple uh, podcast subscription links for nearly all the feeds. As for science fiction, there are some very solid anthology science uh, fiction programs. Dimension X and X-1 are probably the really great standouts, but there's also 2000 Plus, Beyond Tomorrow, and Exploring Tomorrow, among others. The tricky thing is there's not really like the ongoing series, uh, at least not a whole lot. There's at least one good run of both Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon that can be listened to. But there's a very limited supply of other uh, old-time radio science fiction series. And most of them were pitched towards juveniles. And I've got to uh, get, uh, take some listens to them. 
and kind of get an idea of, is this something that adult listeners in the 21st century would actually enjoy? Even for nostalgia purposes, because some of the stuff that's, uh, you know, was written for kids was actually, you know, written very intelligently, and some stuff, you know, can write down to kids. So I've, I've got to do a bit more research and get more into some of those other uh, programs, uh, the Tom Corbett's Planet Man and Space Patrol, and that's actually about the limit of it in terms of series that aren't anthologies. And then there are episodes of Escape, Suspense, and there are even a couple of Lux Radio Theater episodes. Uh, there's a War of the Worlds that's different from the Orson Welles version, and then they also did an adaptation of The Day the Earth Stood Still. And then you can find other things on, you know, other series, uh, Columbia Workshop, CBS Radio Workshop, Theater 5. And those would be kind of the perimeters we'd be looking at if we did a, a science fiction series. Thanks so much for asking. And then we have a note from Jack. Jack writes in, Hi Adam, thanks so much for your continued great work. As a retiree and longtime devotee to the great old radio world, I found your podcast to be the perfect accompaniment for gardening, uh, workshop, and hobby activities. Thank you for your idea of airing various versions of the same script. It's a winner. Well, thank you so much for that. You've asked for podcast themes. Here are a few. Science fiction, great writers of radio, uh, great lesser-known actors of radio, and radio makes history when America heard all news, sports, and important events on the radio. Well, thanks so much for the suggestions. Great writers of radio is is interesting. I'm not sure what I think you mean like uh, great just radio writers as opposed to you know great uh, writers having their works adapted. And I do think, like, probably the top two easily in radio writers, Norman Corwin and Arch Obler. And I think anyone else in terms of radio writers has to uh, go at that, you know, kind of below that. I don't know who else would be considered great, but it's an interesting thought. And I'm definitely going to, you know, give some thought to what we're going to do uh, when we go back down to... Uh, five shows per week, you know, what we're going to replace it with. I want to do something that I'm going to enjoy, but also that people are really going to want to listen to in, uh, you know, in large numbers. Uh, because uh, there's something about doing a series where people are engaged, they want to listen, they, you know, provide their comments. That just gives a lot of energy to being able to do the podcast. And I've tried some projects where, you know, it's just not, you know, work that way. So that's something I'm definitely going to be keeping in mind. Things that, you know, people who listen like and things that some people who don't listen to our current podcast may enjoy as well. And I, I do think I also keep some of these ideas, even if I don't end up using them, I may consider them for uh, some of the uh, spring or fall series that I do over on the Amazing World of Radio. And I enjoy doing that because it gives me opportunity to kind of play with some things and visit some different ideas for just kind of, you know, a few months and explore some interesting and different aspects of radio that I might uh, typically do over here. So, or on, uh, you know, old-time radio Superman or something like that. But again, thanks so much for all the great suggestions, Jack. Now, I do want to go ahead and thank our Patreon supporter of the day. 
Thank you to Talia, Patreon supporter since September 2018, currently supporting us at the Shamus level of $4 or more per month. Thank you so much for your support. That will do it for now. If you're enjoying this podcast, please rate it and consider giving it a review wherever you download your podcast from. Uh, join us back here on Monday for Casey Crime Photographer, and then we'll be back n- next Saturday with another episode of The Silent Men. In the meantime, send your comments to box13 at greatdetectives.net. Follow us on Twitter at Radio Detectives and become one of our friends on Facebook, facebook.com slash radiodetectives. From Boise, Idaho, this is your host, Adam Graham, signing off.